Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself uh, with Leo Flowers. And uh, I'm joined today by Bill Emmel. Is it Emmel? Is that how you pronounce yeah. your last name? Yes. Uh, and Bill Emmel is with the Warriors. Um, Warriors Suicide Prevention Foundation is the 501c3. And in uh, Nevada specifically, we, we operate under 22 Warriors Foundation. Wow. And then you have 22 Warriors Foundation, and then I looked at the website, and there are like three other three other groups under that. Yes, we also have uh, Brain Health Warriors, which is a neurofeedback program. Okay. We also have American War Mothers, which is they do our outreach. They're gold gold star, uh, silver star, and blue star mothers. And then we also have uh, it's um, Smoke on Water Barbecue Championships, and it's like uh, Mark Gordesser starting. It's a barbecue therapy program so it's it's all we focus on all different things on how to reach different people because uh i do a jujitsu program um because that i identify with that um so people do equine therapy with horses for heroes and spirit therapies um then you got brain health warriors is neurofeedback and then uh so we just we we have our programs and we partner with other organizations to is someone if i'm talking to somebody and I start saying what we do in a different, you know, service dog program or this and that. And he said, well, you know, that's not really what I do. I like bikes. Well, then we'll hook him up with uh, Forgotten Not Gone. It's, it's more of a sitting down, having a conversation with somebody, whether it be a veteran, a first responder, or one of their family members, um, and finding out what will get them out, out of their um, type of the funk they're in or something like that. Right. Well, it, you know, it, it makes sense because it's the same thing like with education where they talk about like, you know, people learn in different ways, whether mm-hmm. it's uh, kinesthetic or olfactory or visual or auditory, things like that. Like, um, you know, I was just talking to my girlfriend and she loves to take photos and that's her way of uh, exploring and reliving the past. And I hate photos. I like yeah. video but most importantly, like I like journaling, so I like to I like to write and then go back through my journal to explore the past. So you know we you know I find the middle ground where I like all right, I take some photos because I know that's your thing, but you know like I like to journal as a way of of tracking history. So yeah, that that makes sense. No, it does make sense. It, even the way um, some people talk to counselors these days. You know, it used to always be face to face sitting with the counselor. Uh-huh. Then they start having you know. You can you have a phone call. You can call someone. Even the helplines. Yeah. And now they got seven four one seven four one, which is a text because kids today, like my wife who passed away a few years ago, um, she'd be in the living room and texting her son, which is just in the other room, wow. to come eat. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, just talk to him, you know. But but a lot of uh, today's generation, there you, you reach them different ways. Yeah. And, and that's also what we're focusing on. We're looking at every different way, like. Uh, we have my, you know, my friend like uh, uh, Leland and and Jahara. They do uh, trauma, rec- rec- trauma recovery yoga, because yoga helps people. Absolutely. Um, and trying to integrate that in with the neurofeedback we do. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a member of a group called Emerging Vets and Players, where it's former pro athletes and combat vets at Randy Couture's gym. Um, people. It, that's here in Vegas. Yes, that's here in Vegas. Wow. And, you know, that's a really good program. It was started by Jay Glazier and uh, another former uh, Green Beret, uh, Nate Boyer. Uh, and it was focusing on the transition 
a lot of the, the transitioning issues that we have as combat vets and veterans have, pro athletes have too. Uh, coming from, you know, I was airborne, you know, infantry, ranger qualified, but I was, you know, I also spent time as a Green Beret, you know, and you're working at an elite you know, level and then you get out and, okay, now what do I do? Right. It's the same way with pro athletes, the same way with even first responders, you know, when they get out of that. Um, where you're going 100 miles an hour, all of a sudden you stop, and now your brain's thinking consciously instead of subconsciously. Where you, you know, um, going being in special operations, you, you know, you weren't allowed to come out and say, "Hey, I'm having issues," right. you know, and which you know led to you know problems I had with alcohol and getting in trouble and stuff like that. Um, I retired, but I didn't retire at the level I should have been. Um, but the good part that came out of that is I actually got help. I, I went to alcohol rehab. I went to pretty intense counseling and and uh, a psychiatrist and all that stuff to just deal with everything that was in my head. And the problem with uh, the military just on, in general is there's a stigma attached to going to see mental health. Um, it's even, it's tenfold if you go into special operations. Any elite unit, you can't show any type of weakness. So you have guys that are literally you know, dying inside, and, you know, they don't they don't know how to deal with it. Fortunately, now they're really starting to focus stuff on it, like the neurofeedback we have. Um, when I was an operator, if we would have had something like that, you know, they had the alpha stim, which you put on your ears, you know, and it can calm you down, help you sleep, and then you have the neurofeedback, where it helps you retrain your brain. You know, if we had access to that when we were going out on operations and coming back and being able to, to sit down and, and and detach something and help, you know, instead of just going back and, you know, and, and you're so tense and you're thinking about what happened and you're reliving over and over what happened. And that doesn't stop just after a couple of days, it, you know, years down the line, you're having the same stuff and, 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 and it takes its toll. Um, the 22 veterans that commit suicide daily and that, you know, th and that's just, uh, you know, uh, veterans, that's not including active duty that are doing it. Oh, I didn't realize and, that. And there's also a number, when they did the survey, they only did it with 21 states. California wasn't one of them. California has one of the largest veteran populations in the United States. They did a little updated version, but it's still not all the states, because some states elected not to participate in it. Um, but it also doesn't include the older veterans, the veterans, the homeless veterans, the veterans that have bad paper. And alcohol and drug deaths. You say bad paper? Yeah, the ones that were kicked out. Oh. Um, there are two laws that were passed in recent years. One was in 2014 was for Vietnam era, you know, because a lot of them, they went through a lot of stuff over there. There's a lot of, a lot of shit, or I don't know if I can say that. But no, yeah. They went through a lot of stuff over there, and they, they were, there was no way for them to deal with it because there was no real focus on, back then it was like shell shock, and then it was, uh, you know, I don't know what they call the thousand yard stare, whatever people called it back then, but PTSD really didn't start getting identified and looked at till recently. So the law passed basically states that if you can show that your discharge for you know for misconduct, whether it be fighting, drinking drugs, was directly was related to uh, your combat or service related uh, issues, you can get your benefits back. Mm. And then they just recently, in the last couple of years, passed that for. You know, this generation, because a lot of people got kicked out um, because they went over there. You know, you, you got guys that are doing 12 to 18 month tours, right. you know, 
families completely destroyed by the time they get home, all the stuff they, they went through when they're downrange, and they come home, and they're now supposed to you know deal with it. And so they, they end up going home for, for leave. And most people know if you didn't grow up in the best area and you go home to be with your friends, your friends are still living there probably for a reason. Not all of them. You got the ones that, hey, become affluent, they come back. They, you know, you know, a lot of my friends from high school, you know, are, are back. In, it was, but it was a nice area. But they, they're back there. They're teachers or coaches. But then there's the ones, you know, that are drug addicts. And, you know, I, I was with one, one of my kids several years back, but I was in Placentia, California. And uh, I was at a Del Taco. And then there's this guy, you know, asking for money. And I looked at him. And it was one of my friends from high school. And, you know, and I said, I'm not giving you money, but hey, let, hey rest us, sit down and, and and I'll buy you something to eat. And then he was telling me and, and he says, yeah, there's a lot there's a lot of us around that are just, you know, they got caught up in stuff. You yeah. Know? You know, I was um, when I was looking at the stats for, um, uh, you know, military uh, service people that, that they, a lot of them come have a history of uh, abuse and specifically sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. in their history and then they get into the military and so they haven't even dealt with that then they join the military so and then the effects of that compounds and then they get out and then they, they you know at no lo- nowhere along the way have they checked in and dealt with and then it, it yeah it's, it's it's a lot of, it's not just that you know you have the you know the the abuse the child the, the abuse but you also have like you know other traumatic things that happened in their life, like the death of someone. Like I know I had uh, my, I found out my dad was dying when I was six. You know, uh, I lived him for a while. I was sent home back to my to live with my mom. I thought it was because I did something wrong, but I, I I was having issues dealing with it because um, I thought I did something wrong. That's why he sent me away. Wow. And then I saw him three years later. But when I came into the house, you know, he was paralyzed on one side of his body. He was laying on a couch, and I went up and hugged him, but then I went and played with my, my stepbrother because I didn't know how to process it. Absolutely. And then when it was time to leave, I came out, gave him a hug, and then I left. And then the next time I saw him, three years later, was at his funeral. And that stuck with me for years because I thought about how would I feel if I was dying on a couch and my kids just came in and basically ignored me. And for years... That you know, I that really affected me. You know, other things in my life affected me too. But by the time I was, you know, in ninth grade, I was a blackout drinker. You know, I was fully functional. I was a four-year letterman in track, cross country. You know, um, even when I got in the military, you know, fully functional. But the only time I ever got in trouble was with alcohol. Right. And at one point, I even tried to self-refer myself earlier in my career um, to rehab. And my supervisor's like, "Oh no, you don't, you don't, you don't need it. You're not, you're not an alcoholic." Partly because he was my drinking buddy, and if I had a problem, he had a problem, you know. And I was pretty much convinced that I didn't have, a, you know, a problem. I just needed to co- control my drinking. Well, life doesn't always happen that way, right. you know. And 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 I was, you know, I I that's when I was a military policeman when I first joined. But then I decided I wanted to be special forces. So I went through the, the selection, went through training, uh, went to I was in first special forces group. Um, Are you drinking that whole time? Yeah, and um, and then you know, at one point it all just imploded because I was drinking myself, and you know, you can't defend what you can't remember, you know. 
so I went. So then I went into the infantry. You know, um, became a, a leadership instructor. That you know, I, I did really well. You know, I went through my my troubles, but then I said, you know, this isn't going to define me. So I went through. That's when I went through the uh, alcohol treatment. I went through counseling. I didn't drink for almost ten years. Um, I, I didn't start drinking until I, I was with my 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 late wife, uh-huh. and I and I have a a rule now. And a couple times I I, I didn't follow it, and it wasn't a good result. Um, but I don't drink if I'm too happy. I don't drink if I'm too sad. Um, anytime I, where I used to say I need a drink are situations I won't drink. Um, because nothing ever, nothing good ever comes from it. The only difference now is I can sit down and pick up a beer and not drink myself into, into a blackout and then wake up the next day, you know. Um, well, that's fascinating because, you know, most people, especially, you know, you talk about, uh, uh, alcoholics and, and AA, you know, it's just all or nothing type of place and it sounds like you found a space where you can have a drink and it doesn't uh spiral out of control what 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 are you saying you know i i hear you saying like you know don't drink when you're too happy and don't drink when you're too sad so what's that space in between there where you found the ability to 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 manage the drinking um it's just it's just it's just different because before I was I was drinking to try to forget stuff, you know, not to deal with stuff. Now, I mean, I I go to counseling now. I talk things out. You know, I spend more time with with my family because I'm not deployed. You know, ten months a year, um, and I work on that part. But it's still it, it, not everyone could do that. Um, there's times where I think maybe I should just stop completely because I I've, I've had points where you know things just almost got you know, got bad or, you know, I just, you know, falling and hitting myself ahead or something like that stuff. But, you know, it doesn't happen, you know, it's happened once or t- once or twice since I, I started drinking. And, and that's when I didn't drink for a while because I'm like, okay, I let something set me off. And a lot of times um, where I got to be careful and a lot of people got to be careful is that if I'm doing really well and it's happening here and there and I don't need it it's sitting there, but every once in a while life will hit real hard and it's just sitting there. Um, before I never had it around, so it was an issue. So now I intentionally make sure I don't have enough because sometimes I'm just lazy. I have to get up to go and get it. I'm not going to want to get up and go get it. Right. So I only buy, I, okay, if I have this much in in the refrigerator, I can't get myself too drunk. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, right, right. But sometimes it's just being in a good place. Um, if I'm in a bad place, that's where I, I tend to need to st- stay away from it. Right. You know? No, I, I I'm the same way with uh sn- with snacks, like my because yeah. I used to be two seventy five. I played college football, mm-hmm. and uh and, you know you talked about transitioning. You know I didn't go pro, but uh, transitioning from college football into you know civilian life, quote unquote, was tough because like I said, I was two seventy five, and you develop all these habits around playing sports, and you you have this team of people around you at all times and people to and then all of a sudden you kind of feel like you're out there on your own but anyway going back to the the snacks like I realized I can't have snacks in the house because yeah. I'll eat them like I, I even bought some snacks here before you came and I was like yeah I'll have these later ate them all yeah. <laughs> yep. so I've just I've accepted that uh like my girlfriend she can she has an entire 
thing of snacks at her house. And I'm like, I don't, I don't understand people who can keep snacks in their pantry because I just will, I can't have one. And so yeah. you're right, the laziness of having to go to the store to, to get, like, I'm like, I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, and, uh, and, 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 and I will admit, like, there's times, like, I, I wait as long as I did, and I said, you know, I'll never, I won't drink until, you know, my life is doing well. I'm with someone that, you know, that I'm doing well with, and, you know, and I and I found my, my wife, and, you know, the first drink I had again was with her, mm-hmm. um, and, but when she, when she passed away, you know, for a long time, I wouldn't drink anything because I, I was so, de- you know, depressed. But there's been times like on, aniv- you know, anniversaries or, you know, with, with uh, my recent uh, girlfriend, you know, going through our breakup and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that I found myself um, drinking more than I should have. And, you know, and and that never it's never a good thing. Um, so I've been focusing lately on trying not to. Uh, to get what, back to so what are the because you're in therapy now correct yeah what are some of the things your therapist um is uh what kind of tools or skills is she giving you to help you cope with that well i go to um to the, the vet center and dr eric i got him and, and he's he's pretty good he you know he says you know focusing on on me on on doing things that get me out of my head like that's why i, I do jujitsu i I mean physically i'm pretty broke mm-hmm. um but i adjust the way i i do jujitsu to my body mm-hmm. um because it, it helps me um and the one of the problems about and issues a lot of the suicide prevention organizations ha- have is they also have a very high suicide rate because a lot of people that run these organizations are so focused on everyone else that they don't so yeah they don't take care of themselves and then they end up doing it wow Uh, so it's a good thing about you know merging vets and players and you got like uh even forgotten not gone with the bikes you know they always you're talking about hey get out of the house you know you know take care of your you know self-care first you can't help others if you're not helping yourself um it's when i don't for when i don't remember that Mm -hmm. is when i'll start having issues i'll notice myself starting to slip you know, I so many people struggle with that because they think it's selfish to take care of themselves, especially if they have kids. You have a daughter. Do you have more kids? Yeah, I have five kids. Yeah, five kids. Yeah, oh, most man, of my older. No wonder you're drinking. Yeah. Sheesh. <laughs> yeah, my she's the youngest. My oldest is 28. Oh wow. Um, so you have five kids, and and uh, you know, it's like you're thinking about your kids first, your spouse or your your girlfriend. Um, and then if your job and, uh, you know, and if you're, you're training jujitsu and those types of things, and it's so easy to, to wake up kind of in this fight or flight mode, mm-hmm. right? Especially, uh, coming out the military where you, 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 it's, that's what they had you in for the most part, right? It, and you have to find the calm in the middle of that. Um, and, and I found that like, I wake up in that fight or flight mode myself, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get up. I gotta go do something. And I realize, like, if I don't, if I don't activate myself first, then it makes everything else harder. Yeah. You know, like I, I got knew we were doing this podcast today at noon, and so I spent some time with my girl, but then I also journaled, and then I went for a walk. I was like, I got to get some sun. I got to get vitamin D because I can't be in this hotel room 
for all day. Like, yeah. or at least you know, I can't feel that, you know. So, there, you know, it's like planning out your day and being aware of what your trouble spots might be. Because, you, as you know, like once the urge comes in, that's a hard thing to fight off. Yeah. So everything for me is about preventing the urge to eat, preventing um, the, 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 the suicidal thoughts. Because I realize, like, it stems from when I'm not taking care of myself and or I'm too excited. Yeah. You know, it, it's 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 like these different things. So then you, I'm basically constantly fighting for calm. Mm-hmm. You know, to, to just stay even so that I don't get too high, too low, um, and uh, and 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 physical activity does that for me too. It gets me out of my head and yeah. in my body. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and that's the same with me. I mean, if I I know that the physical activity helps me. Uh, yeah. I know going to different uh groups that i that i uh that i go to helps um but there's times where i'll be going like pretty uh pretty strong for amount of time and all of a sudden i'll just hit a hit a a wall and Mm -hmm. and realizing that i was doing all uh, this but i wasn't doing anything for myself and then i then I tend to sh- I'll shut down, right? And then I'm not helping anyone, right? And I'm not helping myself because I'm just sitting on the couch watching TV. I'm not getting drunk because I'm too lazy to get up and go to the store, <laughs> you know. Um, and it's got to play where, you know, I'll, I'll be like, you know, screw. I need to shopping now. I just shop on on my phone and have yeah. Smiths drop it off. But they don't. Again, they don't deliver alcohol, so it's good for me. You know? <laughs> um, but. Keeping in mind that I need to, to do things for myself and my family and stuff like that f- first. Um, some people, like, they'll get upset that, you know, th- they call, like, and someone is not running and jumping, but it might be a, at a point where we're all actually helping other people, our own families. You know, that's one of the, the, the hardest things to deal with with organizations like ours is, you know, everyone thinks their situation is the only situation. Um, and when you can't help somebody for one reason or another, and if something bad happens, you you really take it to heart. You know, we 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 had a young uh, a young veteran and his wife and a baby girl. You know, we're trying to help them, and you know, there was a lot of issues going on that we didn't know about, and and the baby ended up losing lo- losing its life, and and now they're both in, in you know in prison. You know, wow. and everyone that was trying to help that that veteran and his family took it very hard. Yeah. Um, luckily, no one did. It, you know, no one has taken it a, a step far by you know how much it affected people. But it it affected all of us pretty hard because here we're we were focused on this, but we didn't know the whole story. And now, not only is that veteran and his family okay, there's now no child there, no person normally would do that um but sometimes you know life and stress gets so bad that people do stuff they would never normally do you know including suicide absolutely you know absolutely what are you talk about taking care of yourself what what's your do you have like a morning routine or a bedtime routine well the morning routine is (laughs) it's uh it's one admiral in the navy you know it says the best routine you can start your day with is to just make your bed. 
you know, and you build off that. Like if you make your bed, it's, you know, it's proven fact that people that get up and make their bed every day um, tend to start their day better. And I've actually noticed that days when I didn't make my bed that my days didn't start off um, too well. But it's, it's get up, make my bed, get ready, go to do, I do jujitsu in the morning. Okay. Um, when I don't go, that's already messed my, my day up. But sometimes even knowing that, my own head is keeping me from from getting up or uh, sometimes because like it's I'm because uh, I take a it's called malox camp for arthritis and stuff like that um, I have an alarm that goes off I roll over I'll take my medication and then I'll roll back over go to sleep and then wake up when my my regular alarm goes off uh, but when I cycle off it every once in a while um, just because it can be hard on your on your liver um, it's very hard for me to get out of bed because I'm you know completely sore if I don't take it I, I you know I've Wow. A lot of joint damage and, yeah. and stuff like that. And when I'm like that, it's real hard to get up. Even though I know that once I get there and I go through it all and I'm done, I'm, it, my day's going to be better because I went through those things. Um, and at, at at MVP, that's one of the things they always say, you know, daily routine. You know, do something every day to, to start your day off better. Get get in that routine. It's what, that's the 14 days if you do it. 14 days it becomes a habit um and they try to stress that because if you're doing that and you're sticking to your routine um your days tend to be better Absolutely. and a lot of times when it comes to um people having suicidal thoughts being you know being one of those uh people just thinking about it um it has to do when they don't have a routine um that's keeping them in a better place to deal with what's happening. It's uh, something to ground them. Yeah. Something to say, even though all this is chaotic, I know I have this thing that I can come, I can always do. When I was, um, I, I was reading about Nelson Mandela and I was like, how was he able to keep his wits about him in prison? I think he was in prison for like 40 years or something, something mm. crazy. And I was like, what, 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 what did he do? And I and I finally read somewhere that every day he would journal, um, and if and sometimes the guards would take away his 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 uh, journal and, and stuff to write with, so he would he would journal in the in the dirt or in the sand or whatever, or he would get a rock and and write notes on the wall. But every day he would journal. He would exercise, you know, wh whatever exercise he would do, probably push ups and sit ups and stuff like that. Uh, and then he would read if, if uh, you know, if that was allowed to him, uh, and he would pray, and uh, and I and so I've adapted like a similar daily routine. I call it germs, where I I journal, exercise, read, meditate, and then some form of self talk, because mm -hmm. uh, you know you you realize you're you're kind of saying the same things over and over to yourself, and uh, when you have a uh, a mantra or a mission statement, especially because you're a retired army, right? Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you, you guys had your, your mantras and your mission statements that you repeated over and over. And that kind of breaks up those, uh, quote unquote, negative thought patterns that, that may arise, or, or at least it primes you for yeah. the day, you know? And so you're absolutely right. It's like how you, how I start my day is so important to, how the rest of my day goes, but also how I end my day. I'm, I'm working on a night routine because that is just as valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, ideally is to like 
have something I start my day with, have something in the middle of the day, and then right before night. But uh, but yeah, you need you need to kind of it's like checking in with yourself. Yeah. You know, before you to break up the momentum of any stress or whatever may come up for you. And even and I even know that at times where I'm not I'm not listening to myself. You know, what my my body and my mind's saying, and I'm not I'm not doing those routines. Um, when I when that happens, it's usually when something's something's going on. Uh, you know, a lot of times when like be the anniversary when my wife passed or her birthday or when we got married, I I tend to um, I I tend to kind of go down the rabbit hole a little bit. Um, I have a couple of friends that know about the dates and stuff now, so they try to kind of keep an eye on you know. It's, and a good thing is not to try to do it by yourself. Right. Find people that 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 understand that that you can you can talk to and and confide in and um and you know we find it within other veteran groups you know the vet you know the different vet, you know, and well, a lot of people got to f- understand it's like you can't just join the vfw because if you don't identify with the vfw you know or mm. or one of those other groups if you don't identify with the group you're part of one you're not probably going to participate with it and you're not really going to uh, do it like when i you know when i go to you know mvp emerging vets and players uh, there's, you know, you get these little core groups that, that hang out with each other and, and they, they pay attention. And um, even when you're not going, like I haven't been going, you know, for a while, um, people still check in. Like right when I got here, Isaac, you know, checked in with me, Saldivar. He's one of the guys that runs MVP. He asked me what I'm up to, you know. Uh, so having those people check on you, especially when, when things aren't going well. My mom's, you know, as uh, stage four cancer. So I've been dealing with that the last uh, few months. And so I was really getting out of my routine because I was spending as much time as I could with her. And um, that started affecting me. So, you know, and people were reaching out and they said, hey, you know, get back into your routine. And, it, and right. when I got back into my routine, um, it's better for me to help other people because I'm in a better mindset when I'm when I wasn't doing that you know I was spending time with her and it's real hard dealing with that if I'm not doing anything to get rid of that Mm -hmm. that negative energy then it's just building in me you you know uh, and and you're right because sometimes life feels so overwhelming and the scheduling and the travel and somebody's sick and you got to take care of them and you go when when when, where is there space for me to squeeze in myself and on those days, I try to reduce, I call it the going through the one-minute routine. So, like, usually, like, I'll meditate for 20 minutes, I'll write for 10, and I'll read for 20, like, but on those days where I don't even want to do any of it, I'll say, all right, just do each one for one minute, yep. and then see how you feel. And after one minute, because that's just five minutes, right, after one minute, if, if, if I feel like that's enough or there's something I want to do longer, I can do that. But just just give me one minute, Leo, and then and then we'll take it from there. Yeah. And and inevitably, I I'm so happy I did it. You know, it's like you know sometimes uh, it's it's not that you don't want to you don't want to do jujitsu. Maybe you just don't want to do it for an hour. You don't want to drive there. You don't want to get in the car. So it's like, all right, what can I do at home to yeah. to move around or to you know to get me because essentially it's not about the jujitsu it's about being physical and getting in your body right mm-hmm. and so it's like to have a, a backup plan for when you don't want to do 
go to jujitsu. You know what I mean? Sometimes for me, it's it's dancing. Like I'll put in music, and you know, I'm just like jumping around for like a song or two, and then I'm like, I'm good. I mean, you know, yeah. but finding multiple ways. That's what I love about what you were saying is like early on in that uh, you you're partnering people with different groups, whether it's the motorcycle group, whether it's uh, the, uh, uh, what's the horse therapy, equine? Equine therapy. Equine therapy. Uh, I have a friend who she she's all about that she, with the horses and, uh, and and there's so many studies out now about that. I forget, there's, uh, what's the name of the group that, that runs that? Well, there's the two local ones here. You've got Horses for Heroes, yeah. Sydney Knott, and then you have uh, Lori over there with um, Spirit Therapies. Yeah. Uh, and those are the two large ones. There's there's a couple other ones that are that are around town. Right. Um, and that's what when you're sitting there talking to some people, you ask them. You know, you did, when you know someone's going through some something, you're like, well, what do you do to get out? You know, do you, and and I usually ask, do you like doing martial arts? Do you yeah. like riding bikes? Do you like horses? Right. Um, do do dogs make you know help you out and stuff like that? Because because then you can see what's something that can pull them out of it. Right. Um, or help them pull themselves out because a lot of it is it a lot of veterans and the things that lead to crisis and them having the thoughts of suicide and stuff like that coming from not being able to, to help themselves or, or or get through stuff. They don't want the actual handout. Huh. They just want a little uh, boost so they can get to the point where they can do it themselves. Absolutely. Um, some you know we do. You know, some emergency financial assistance because we're not really a big organization, so we don't have a, a big bank account. We're not Wounded Warriors Project that has you know four hundred ninety-six million dollars in savings. Oh wow! We're lucky if we have twenty thousand in our in our bank account because as soon as we get money in, it's going back out. Right. Um, but there's times that so you know we'll have someone that just they just need you know their union dues paid up and help with tools so they can go to work. They already have a job if they get those. So we've we've met people at the union halls, paid their dues, took them to Home Depot, and then they worked themselves into getting the money they needed. You know, we've had people that were Uber drivers and broke their phone but couldn't afford to. So, you know, we met them at Walmart. We bought them, you know, a phone and, you know, airtime for a few months so they could get because they can get paid immediately once they start working because. You know, they have the, the thing now where you get paid as you're going. So now they're helping themselves. They didn't get a handout. It makes them feel better about themselves. You know, a lot of people think that, like, suicide, aware, suicide awareness is, we're already aware there's suicide. It, you need to be taking action. What is going to stop a person from doing it? What's going to stop them from being in that crisis mode? It's not about how can we tell people about it. We know it's there. It's how do we stop it? And a lot of times it's just allowing people to help themselves or letting them know there's somewhere to go. The The biggest issues a lot of people have that we run into is they didn't know that there was things that they can do. They didn't, you know, unless you go to one of those fairs or listen, you know, on Facebook, you're part of one of those groups that talk about, you know, the, the different events they have. You're not going to know about equine therapy or, you know, the riding bikes with for, Forgotten Not Gone or, you know, trauma recovery yoga you know, you're not going to know about those things that are free to the to them because the idea is, like even the martial arts program. You know, we have the we the gym. Hopefully, you know, 
writes off 50% on tuition because they get the tax deduction. If they need, if they don't have the money, then we help raise money for them for the tuition. If they do have the money, then they pay it, you know. But the idea is is getting them in there to do something for themselves that makes them, you know, feel better about themselves. The, the thing I like about jiu-jitsu, one, is it, it is strenuous, especially with the guys I roll with. You know, I'm at retention fight team. We're all, you know, under Ricardo Cavacani and Rob Lagasca and Chris Howery, Matt Cox are our black belts, you know, and they're – but we got a pretty uh, aggressive group in the morning I go to. We're all older guys. Um, but – the the physical aspect isn't just the thing it's the mental aspect when you're rolling um because it's like chess with your bodies it's like if i put my hand here you know like the people roll with me i do a lot of kimuras um i do a lot of different types of triangles um if your arm comes up and i can get my arm slipped in there i'm i'm slipping it in there whether it be the arm i'm doing the kimura with the other one to stop i'm going for i'm looking for so you're you know, your mind's activated thinking about everything else, about what's not, except for what's going on outside you're, you're, the mat. You're super present. Yeah. Yeah. And and that really helps when you're when you're out on a bike. You know, forgotten I've gone. They got the recumbent bike. So even people that are you know, not physically able to ride a regular bike can ride these electric assisted ones. They're out there. They're thinking about the fact that they're able to go you know 20 miles an hour, wind blowing in their hair, having a good time. Uh, they're not thinking about the other stuff You're, with the horse, you know, like uh, equine therapy. There's people that I mean, the horses are ultra sensitive um, and, you know, you have to calm yourself to even get around that horse. Well, the desire to be around that horse is having you calm down. You know, that, you know, like I have rangers, you know, my service dog. Um, that, that, that's the panting you guys hear in the background. Yeah. R <laughs> rangers. With 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 him and like is well I can't take him to jitsu because he thinks I'm fighting and what he does is if I get really angry, if I start getting really agitated, he gets in between people. He he actually pushes me backwards, uh, so that I don't, you know, do something that will put me in jail. Um, and you got different the different types of service dogs, but you know, the dogs really help people. Ninety seven percent of of people that have a service dog will not commit suicide. Wow. You can never stop 100%. Right. You know, like, I, I founded the 20 Warriors. Well, that was the original name was 20 Warriors Foundation with my wife and my nephew. Um, and then 10 months later, my wife committed suicide. So. Was she military also? No. Sorry. <laughs> no. But, but that's one of those things where. You see that even though you're starting uh, something or you're right next to someone, you start something, if you're not really paying attention, even someone right next to you, you know, and there's only a few things that, like, I, I don't usually show emotion when, on normal things. Um, a lot of that was uh, pretty much killed out of me when I was in the military. I, um, however... I do get emotional when I talk about my wife and and the the soldiers I've lost from suicide. I mean, it's it's hard to deal with something um, that uh, like being in in Iraq and almost doing something to myself and having you know, my guys come to my door and just asking to play basketball. 
you know, had me un, you know, uncock my weapon, put it away. But four of those people that were in my platoon within a year, um, or a year or so were gone, uh, whether it be from very risky behavior, uh, drug overdose, suicide. Um, and that's hard to take because, okay, I didn't do it. Why did they do it? Why couldn't I see it? You know, of course, a lot of them didn't have, no one had any idea I was going through anything. You know, I was, I was a platoon sergeant. Everyone looked up for me for stability. They didn't realize that I was on the other side of the door, you know, about to do something when they knocked at my door. Um, I told them a few years later after I started a foundation and, you know, I did a, a group, a Facebook, a private group. And I, and I, I told them what, you know, and it was because I knew some of them were going through some stuff. And I said, hey, I've been there before. Mm. You guys don't know it, but you're the ones that that stopped it. Mm. You know, um, and so that helps is um, knowing that, okay, my story can help other people. You know, I, I, being at, you know, MVP and, and telling people my story when I first got there and, and, and for a while, um, there was people that, you know, would talk. It was like the first time they've ever, you know, talked about their situation, whether, you know, you know, one of our, one of our members, you know, almost, you know, shot himself and it was just a text he got from a buddy, you know, and the first time he ever talked about that was after I talked about my stuff. So uh, you, you reach people and you never know who you're going to reach. Um, and, you know, I've, we've had people reach out on Facebook and I've talked to them and say, Hey, you know, what you're going through, people basically saying, I'm, I'm about to end it. And you start talking to them. And, and I, I got another one, we we're talking on Facebook and I got him to, you know, f say, yeah, I like the idea of merging vets and players. I said, okay, and this is when we had it on Thursdays. They meet me there Thursday. Just promise me that, you know, if anything happens between now and then, here's my number and everything, but meet me there. And then we'll go from there. And, you know, that made a huge difference. You know, he ended up, you know, things are going a lot better for him. He got married. He's got a you know, good job. He's doing really well. And it was just him coming into a group he didn't know about and being able to identify the group. And every time, you know, he might be gone for a while. And just like me, you're gone for a while. But when you come back, everyone welcomes you back. Um, and having people you can identify with that you know, understand what you're going through helps out a lot. You know, uh, two things I want to unpack is, one, you, you know, you did something that a lot of us do, especially men do, in that, you know, when we do feel ourselves getting emotional or, or, or wanting to cry or crying, we apologize for it, you know, which is really crazy when uh, it's like when we laugh, we don't apologize for laughing when we're glad, like, but you know, tears and emotion and 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 showing that we we care about something or someone, we're apologizing for that, you know. And 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 a lot of and you know and, and you know I'm from Chicago and and you know you you you've you've had the tears either beaten out of you or shamed out of you. It's like, oh, are you crying? Yeah. You know, oh, I'll give you something to cry about. That whole thing. So you, you know, as a man, you grow up and you, you learn not to cry. It was like. I went to go see 1917 uh, yesterday. Mm. It was a, it's a World War One movie. Yeah, yeah. And 
I'm bawling my eyes out in the theater. And uh, but of course, you know, it's that that silent crying where like yeah. it's just the stream. Where like I'm listening to the women, and they're like, huh, huh. and then I'm just like, you know, I, you, you see guys crying, but it's, it's like we're all holding it in, and the women are just uh, emotively it's just falling apart. And I was like, I want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just gonna hold it in and let that let that that tear stream down my face. Yeah, yeah. and I and I noticed for a while, like one of the things I was having a, an issue with was I wasn't showing emotion anymore. Mm. Um, and it wasn't until my wife passed it, I was like, oh, wow, I do still have feelings. Yeah. You know, um, before it was only when it came to my the soldiers that committed suicide, not the ones that died. You know, I was like, hey, that's what, that's what we joined for. We knew that was going to happen. And, and it's hard losing, you know, your, your friends and uh, your teammates and stuff like that that you're really close with. But what's really hard is, you know, you've, you've already been there. You're coming back. You're home. You're around everyone, and then you have people killing themselves. And you know, even in the the special ops world, it's it's getting really bad. You know, because people aren't realizing you have these guys that are constantly going back. You know, like in Iraq and Afghanistan, they have regular army units, but a lot of the people that are there are special operations units. You know, you have guys that are on you know double digit deployments. You know, and when you yeah. say double-digit deployments, like over uh, ten months. deployments. Oh wow! You know, um, right, right. Uh, now it was a little bit different being in, you know, in special operations. A lot of times they would deploy for, you know, when it first started, it was like four months, um, six, maybe. You know, a long uh, tour for us would be seven or eight months, and then we'd come back for six and go back. Uh, the, a lot of the regular army units, the big, huge units, that you know, financially, it wouldn't be cost-effective to go back and forth every three to four months because mm-hmm. it almost takes them three months to get into t- into uh, into country. Got you. Um, they're 12, you know, longest ones are 18 months. And, you know, you just have people's families just falling apart, you know. and But now when you have, you know, the guys with the short deployments, well, when you go, you know, you're going every year for six months, you're coming home, in that six months you're home, you have to do your advanced training or any type of other schooling you need while you're home, you know, so like with me, w- I would deploy and, and do my different stuff. But when I was home, I was, I was, you know, flying back from Okinawa to, you know, Fort Bragg to go to some, some advanced training or somewhere else, you know, around um, to get advanced training. You, you don't get while you're deployed. So we would come back. A lot of us would end up doing training and all the leadership schools with stuff we'd have to have. So, you know, if you're in an active actively deployed uh, group or, or unit, you're talking about you're really not home but for a couple of months, a year, and uh, it's broken up. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that it's a lot of strain. You know, a lot of, you know, divorce rates real high. You know, it wasn't as high in, in special operations at the beginning because they were coming home sooner more and more often. often. Right. But it's caught up because now it's... Longer deployment. Yeah. Well, not just longer deployments, but constant. Oh. Yeah, because the other units will go back, and they're home for at least a, a year or two, you know. Um, and they, some of them can can fix what was broken when they were gone because I mean, people are human. Stuff is going to happen, both sides. Yeah. Um, and uh, sometimes people can go back and fix it. Other times they can't because cause it is also hard on the family members. I mean, it's, it gets us really upset. You know, you should have been waiting and all that. But it, it goes both sides. 
gotcha. you know, um, and a lot of people, the reason why we help veterans, first responders, and the family members, you know, when we can is because a lot of them end up having secondary PTSD because when we come back, we're not the same. We're lashing out. We're doing stuff. And and it ends up affect, affecting the family. That's where abuse comes in and stuff like that. And it's not that the veterans are, are – it's not what we're meaning to do it, that we want to do it, but we're not come back. We weren't prepared for how we came back, you know, and and – Falling back on what we talked about earlier, some people already came in with stuff that they didn't talk about because if they were talked about it, they probably couldn't get in. Because people can say what they all, all want about the military, but only 1% of the United States can even get in the military. You know, as if, I think it's one, between 1% to 3% that can even qualify to get in the military. Most kids today cannot meet the physical standards to get in the military. Wow. Because we're getting fatter. Yeah. This generation is going to be the first generation in several, well, probably in history, that's going to die at a younger age than the generation before because they're so unhealthy. Yeah. Now, some of that might change because they're having some focus. It's not global warming, is it? No, it's fat people, you yeah. know. <laughs> and and, 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 and it's some of it, and I know a lot of people, there's a genetic thing. They, you know, even I've had soldiers, you know, I had a, a soldier, um, I went to a mechanized infantry unit uh, in Fort Hood. Uh, the driver, my team was great, and the driver was, you know, he was overweight. Um, but w and when we were going to Iraq, we were going dismounted, you know. And and I said, hey, you, you're not going to be part of the platoon if you can't lose this. Yeah. Well, he had he had is a, a medical issue, and he ended up having to do a different job. Wow. Um, but it wasn't because he didn't try. Because when we did PT, he he tried. He yeah. really did. I I knew he did. And that's why I didn't demean him or yeah. anything like that. Um, but I also came with the mindset from special forces that, you know, when you're in group, it's you carry your own load. You're responsible for getting yourself there. Um, so whenever one of the one of my soldiers would say, "Well, my my wife, you know, it's hard to do this with my wife," well, that's your that's not you. You got to focus on you. Right. But there is a lot of times where you have that outside outside influence that makes things harder so that's the ob obesity issue is not you know it, in the military it's harder to do it but there's things in, you end up getting people that they get overweight and, and mentally that's hard because the military is not really the the job to have if you're not physically fit because you know like when i was a young soldier i got out of a lot of trouble because i was so physically fit you know, I was maxing my PT test. You know, I was a board bunny. I went to a lot of boards and everything. I had the spit shine boots and the, you know, I iron starts my uniform and all that stuff. Just that kept me out of trouble where you had another guy that was overweight or wasn't past the PT test, and you know, and they got in trouble really easy. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, and I think 23 years of that has also led me to I'm rarely on time for anything anymore. I, I don't even mean to do it. But in 23 years, I was late once. Yeah. You know, um, now I'm I'm lucky if I'm on time once. You know, and, and I don't mean to do it, but I found that a lot of that um, overemphasis on on certain things is what led the, to, to a lot of my stress and everything. So now... Being, having an obsessive quality. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's good to have it in some points, and there's some of it I'm trying to get back because it would, like... 
Um, for our neurofeedback, we have a, um, a retreat, um, basically a transitional facility up in Mount Charleston. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Don Poston's worked on it for seven years. Um, and we really need to raise funds for it because although we have the machines that do neurofeedback, it still costs money to do it. Like I have, I'm a, I, I'm a tech. I, I went through his training course. We have uh, three different techs and we can travel around, but it still costs money for the machine because you can only lease them. You know. Now, what is, how does the neurofeedback work, basically? Well, the, uh, the neurofeedback, they have uh, leads that go on, on onto your, your head in certain areas, depending on what part, what your protocol, and what part of the brain it's working on. You have some on the ears, and you move you move the thing around. And basically, you're looking at a screen on the computer. It's like a design going around. Um, and off to your peripheral on your right, it'll show, like, green, which is that's when your, your brain... Uh, waves because it's hooked to your brain and you're seeing your brain waves. When it's green, it means it's 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 working right. You know you're you're doing good. And it goes red, which means you're overstimulated in one area. Depending on what part of the brain you're talking about, whether it, it be it, it be an area for aggression or anxiety or something like that, or even excitement. Yeah. Okay. And then it'll come blue, which is understimulated. And when you see blue, you right click. Well, while you're doing that, you have the designs and you have different like sounds going on in your ears and everything. Um, some of them are negative and positive. You might not even notice it, but your brain does. And it helps you retrain your brain. So the, the success rate on like addiction is like 85%, wow. which if you know anything about like addiction, like uh, inpatient, a good facility, you're looking at 30% success rate. Uh, PTSD, um, the success rate to get rid of most of, of, of the symptoms is really low. But with neurofeedback, it's in the 90 percentile. Wow. But big pharma, who, you know, bureaucratic red tape is keeping this from being widespread. Like they have it, they had it here at the VA, and they moved that doctor. Here we have Dr. Don, who's, you know, he's qualified, a certified su- supervisor. So that's how I could be a neurofeedback tech and, and do appointments without him being there because he can, uh, supervised from from his computer and all that stuff because all I'm doing is hooking up gotcha. the leads gotcha. um, it's called it's called brain paint and you go see the MMPI you, you're you're going over the basic questions like when you take the um, the mental eval test of it was a uh, Minnesota multi uh, pers- yeah basic inventory, inventory yeah. yeah yeah it's a shortened version of it okay but by the way you answer is how the protocol and the program are set up um wow. and the guy built it developed it he uh and every once in a while between him and dr don other feedback they, they make adjustments to it but it it helps you depending on what your issue is remap your brain basically and so it's, the way he he describes it is like you you got the guys that wear the hat you know tilted sideways well that's you know, that's when you're starting brain paint, your hat's sideways, it's not it's not on correctly, and then over time you bring it level to where you're wearing your hat right. That's what it's doing. It's helping you adjust. Um and it's it's a very good very good program. It works, but you know, big pharma and, and, and a lot of people don't want stuff like that coming in because it replaces medication. Wow. You know, because neurofeedback gets you off medication. You know what? It makes so much. It's like how they tried to kill the electric car, and then you know Elon Musk was able to to bring it back. Uh, but it's like even meditation. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it's like I, you know I I have to meditate 
daily and uh it it's it's kind of like uh it, it sounds like it works similar to like the neurofeedback that you're talking about in that it, it is it it is it, actually the eyes closed one they call it 30 day, 30 year yin so they they notice that when people do the eyes closed portion of it oh the uh, neurofeedback yeah okay. the way the brain waves are uh they notice that when uh, the you had the monks that did their meditation they found that where their brain waves were after 30 years of meditation, the Zen that they're at, when you're doing the brain pain, the neurofeedback, uh, the eyes closed part specifically, they they showed that the brain waves were the same as a person that had done the 30 years of, of Get meditation. Get out of here. Yeah. So, like, the eyes one, like with me, when I do the eyes open portion, because it could be anywhere from you might do for 25 minutes worth of protocols because they're yeah. broken up right. in little chunks to where mine's almost an hour because I – I do my eyes closed. I got a few different ones I do, and then I do my eyes open and then eyes closed mm-hmm. portion because the eyes opens where I, I was talking about right-clicking right. and everything. I tend to feel a little bit agitated after that. Um, you know, it's all the designing stuff. I, 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 I kind of feel a little bit agitated because the effects from that, you're, you're not going to feel until like 12 to 18 hours later. Mm-hmm. When you do the eyes closed is where you're just sitting there. You're not looking at the screen. You're kind of laying back at a, you know, a, a nice lounge part and your eyes are closed and it, and you're listening to all that stuff and it's basically talking you through a meditation. Wow. But as you're doing it, there's stuff going on in the headphones that is helping you because it's reading your brain waves and every time something's not going right, one of those uh, positive or negative reinforcers happen. You, know, you, not, you might not notice it, but every time I finish that, I'm real calm. I'm real... You You feel how... Um, I'll calm you, Phil. And this is in. They call this 30 years in. Uh, Dr. Don Posick could go on for hours talking about it. He uses all those big words. He has a doctorate. <laughs> I don't. I just have the undergraduate. Is he degree. here or where is yeah, he? Yeah, he's at Mount Charleston. Um, oh, I got to get him on a podcast. Yeah, and he and he can sit there and talk and explain which, you know, which portion of the brain specifically it's, it's, it's working with and why it's working. And, and you know, when he's talking about it, it's, it's – it's really amazing, and then he, you know, he does a Wellabuca, a Mal- Malabuca. Uh, it's it's a they're like a supplements, but it's like targeting your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and Malabuca, I think it's called. And he and he encourages people doing the brain training to take those too. And he and he does like a, a holistic type of approach, and that's where you know he's talking about you know bringing in yoga as part of it. Uh, also yeah. and and then you have the meditation part like with the eyes closed like the eye, eyes closed like it makes a huge difference for me um and i think that's what a, a lot of people uh they think that they need the the drugs to get to the point because i you know i'm all probably like half the the meds i was on before because of stuff like that um i'm also a real big uh proponent for, you know, uh, cannabis use, you know, whether it be CBD, like Veterans Vitality, you know, that's a veteran-owned organization locally um, that re- they have very good CBD. You know, they, they did a lot of research before they picked a lab. And um, and then you have the, the cannabis, the THC side. Right. Um, how, are you, how are you using those? I, I have friends who use it to sleep. 
some before they work out post like how how are you what's your protocol for that um i use it to sleep okay um the cbd I, uh, no i use uh, a i take cbd like during the day um sometimes when i wake up i'll, I'll take it because um i have a, i have focus issues sometimes so i, I take adderall okay. um the problem with adderall um it also kind of jacks you up well if you're having issues with anxiety or or stuff like that you know, you got to take something to counteract it. And I was taking um, different types of antidepressants or anti-anxiety and kind of trying to get away from that, bringing in the CBD and the THC. Mm. Um, and that's where you bring in, like, Indica, where I use it, those gummies like, to go to sleep. Gotcha. Um, a hybrid between the sativa and, and stuff like that if I just want to maintain. But if I'm, like, really, like, just not motivated, you know, a sativa can can help you and and sitting down with someone that understands what each type do right right but the thing about it is you don't get addicted to thc you, mm. and you know cannabis you don't overdose from cannabis right you don't have any drive-by you know <laughs> shootings with guys stoned right, right? Yeah. um and it, it the whole plant has such good um Things that come out of it, even if it's just the hemp, like they're making the the clothes. Yeah, hemp the is stronger is than strong, mo almost right, any type right, of, right. of of rope. You know, of course, for years it was banned because it came from the pot plant, but they've known for years that it worked, and it was big business and big pharma that were trying to keep it down because it, it's their bottom line. It's getting into right. same with neural feedback. Neural feedback will take millions of people off drugs. We'll get them off drugs. Millions. Civilians. Not just, I'm not talking about veterans. Right. You know, because uh, one of the things I've been talking to uh, Arnie um, from Veterans Village, our share village now, um, about going there and start doing the neurofeedback for the veterans, you know, uh, that are in his facilities. And at one point, we can expand it. You know, we're, we're just going to have to do fundraising for it because obviously we can't have these. Uh, the techs volunteer all the time because people have to be able to live too. So we need to have the fund, you know, raising the funds because we're never going to charge the, the veterans, uh, the people that we're treating. We do have, Dr. Don does have his for-profit side because um, it would help athletes. Like I know like Absolutely. when I'm when I'm doing the neurofeedback, yeah. uh, even guys I roll with, they can tell when I am because I'm a lot more, one, calm. Um, and I'm also a lot, I think a, a lot more what I'm doing and I'm, uh, you feel fluid. Yeah. And when I'm not doing it, you know, also like uh, Joe Rogan, you know, uh, he talks about being on, on gum, you know, on THC or cannabis yeah. and rolling. And he says the best rolls he's ever had has been when he's, he's been stoned because his mind's ultra focused. Right. Uh, that also has to do with what, you know, what's type of stuff whether it's a sativa or something like that you have to you know indica probably is not you know that's why they call it indica couch you know oh it, got you it, oh, sativa oh. makes you ultra like like so those are people you see like you know cleaning their house and all that stuff so sativa in the morning uh um what's the one at night uh indica indica and then like the hybrid if you just want a more calm because yeah. like some people can't take a sativa because it makes them their anxiety go out the roof. Like if you have anxiety issues, you're not going to take a sativa. You know, same thing with uh, caffeine. I can't yeah. have caffeine. It makes me more anxious. Yeah. It doesn't really make me like some people drink it for energy, but I find that it puts me more into fight or flight mode than 
yep. than anything. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and you got to find that with that. Calm. Yeah. And, yeah. It, and people yeah. I've noticed that, like, they know I, I, I know it, it helps, but if I, t- you know, I'm taking this one and, you know, I'm just like too tired or I'm just, or if I'm this one, I'm just laughing at everything. And well, then you, you want to go to a hybrid and then you get, and there's people that really know a lot about it. I'm not one of them because, you know, I'm not, I haven't really got totally in, into doing that. Right. It's just like a, for my sleep, I needed something because if I don't take something, I, I, I tend to have nightmares. Um, and, uh, I don't sleep really well when I'm not I'm not taking anything, and I and I, it's a marked difference when I am and when I'm not. Um, but for years I was taking Ambien. Mm. Well, Ambien, the bad thing about Ambien, one is when you take Ambien, you have to, you know you take it as you're getting to bed with all lights off or everything because Ambien blackouts are a real thing, where you know because um, it puts you into REM sleep. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're sitting, you take it. And you're sitting on your computer, or like one time I was, I was playing out. solitaire because my ex-wife, she's like, "Hey, you know, can you wait to go sleep? Because you've been snoring a lot later." And I'd already taken it, so I said, "Okay, I'll just play solitaire for a little bit," you know. And that was like ten o'clock at three o'clock in the morning. She came down. I was still sitting there playing solitaire. I don't remember any of that, you know. And, and she just said, "Hey, aren't you going to go to bed?" And she said, "I just got up, walked upstairs, and went to sleep." I don't remember any of that, wow. you know. Uh, I also had an issue one time, you know, redeploying. And I took two because I was like, hey, four hours room sleep. If I, uh, if I take two, that's eight hours. Well, it doesn't work that way, you know. But I took it, and we're, get, we're taxing out of Germany, getting ready to fly back. And uh, I was standing up for right over a half hour, and it already kicked in. And then, you know, I had an Air Force officer, like, trying to get me to sit down. Apparently, I was kind of being confrontational with him because I was already angry that here this it was a you know two special force ODAs had an airplane to themselves we had all of our stuff you know in our, our seats and everything but they made us get off the plane in Germany to refuel we get back on and the air force people that are strap hanging decide to move our stuff so they could sit in a better place well my stuff was communications equipment which was you know they didn't even have a clearance to touch, and they moved it, so I was already angry. Well, here, now I'm in an ambient blackout, basically, <laughs> you know, confronting a major in the Air Force, um, but I don't remember any of it. You know, they sat me down and, and buckled me up, and they said, like, you know, well, I remember, but it was like five hours later, I wake up, and I was like, and so what's going on? Everything, everyone's like, really? You know, and they told me what happened. So as ambient could be a dangerous thing, because wow. you know, people have woke, woken up like in other states, you could, because it puts you into REM sleep. But you can completely function in REM sleep, just like when you sleepwalk. When you sleepwalk, you're probably in REM sleep, because wow. a person can function, you know. Um, and you know, people end up in prison. You know, people have done things that they would never do in in normal life. In in ambient blackout, I can't believe ambient is still on the market when. When you, when all this is, you know. Well, but that's when, like, when, especially when I got out. I mean, it's different in the military. There's times you're okay, you're taking one to keep you up, one to put you to sleep, so you know you're not becoming combat ineffective. But the doctors, you know, when I got into the civilian world, were pretty, like, hey, you need to understand that you need to turn off. You know, you need to go to sleep when you take this. Don't, right, right. because not everyone reacts that way, but. Most people will, 
Um, so medications like that, people need to get off of. You know, so stuff like neurofeedback and yoga and, and cannabis, they know it works. Yeah. You know, some people, it's just having a service dog that now, lays, lays next to him. How old is your service dog? Well, he's five and a half. I got him when he was about five months old. He was a rescue okay. from a local shelter, which is lucky for me because he's a purebred Czech German Shepherd. Someone just left him in the house, and and uh, after he was a couple of years old, well, uh, after my wife had passed, my friends actually trained him in uh, at age three in, in Georgia. I took him there, dropped him off. They trained him, and uh, then I, I came back, and then they trained us together, and then I brought him back here. Um, and then you said there's different types of service dogs. What? So what kind of service dog is this? And then this is uh, he, he's a service dog more focused on on stuff that happens with uh, PTSD. Okay. Um, with me, it's uh, when I t I tend to be like if I get agitated or I start you know uh, something start to kick in where I where he feels that I'm I'm getting upset, he'll tend to like. Uh, when I do speaking engagements, sometimes I let them loose. I let them run around. Um, a lot of people don't like it because, you know, service dogs are it's supposed to have the no, you know, do not pet and everything. Right. Um, when I go to different places, especially like, you know, if you go to like the veterans hospital or something like that, people, it's amazing what people being able to pet him that does it f for them. Right. Um, right. So I've kind of went away. I've gone off of that whole complete, you cannot pet a service dog wow but there's reasons why there's some service dogs there's specific things they do and they have to be 100 percent um of their attention Focus. on on right. on their their uh their part their their human yeah. right um there's times where i'm talking and just like earlier when i started talking about my wife and i started if you notice he kind of he came over kind of started whining uh, there's times where i've been on the um uh, i've been on the the stage talking, you know, giving a you know, speech about suicide prevention or something like that. And um, I'll start talking about my wife and he's, he, he'll hear my voice and then he'll run up to me. Wow. And a lot of times, sometimes he'll put his paws on my shoulder or wow. he'll nug me, wow. you know, and he'll do stuff like this so yeah. I can yeah. pet him because yeah. petting him makes me feel better. Right. Um, but there's service dogs like, you know, a friend, I have a friend that, you know, it helps him stand up. The dog is trained that when he needs to stand up, he holds on to him and, and he pulls him. There's mm. uh, service dogs that can smell someone about to have a, you know, a, well, feel them about to have a seizure. There's something about what the body gives out, right. gives off that a dog can smell or, or sense. Wow. You know, it's it's really amazing, you know, what dogs can do. Like, you know, they have, I think they said, what, a hundred times the smell capability of a human or I don't know what level is, which is kind of interesting to me because every time I go to the bathroom he's like sitting in there I'm like I'm I don't even want to be here what are you doing in here you know <laughs> he just knows yeah but um but that's where it helps yeah but and, but then there, that, that's service dogs but then you have companion or, or comfort dogs uh -huh. and some vets they don't need a, a service dog um there's times where I take him because I I know hey this might be a, a place that I'd want you to be here but there's times I don't take him mm -hmm. Because uh, he might be overstimulated, um, but when I take him to like a, even like like here, like he he'll walk around. Like when I do my my speeches and stuff like that, he walks around and lets people pet him, and uh, and he'll he'll also sense some people that are, 
because sometimes what we're talking about can get people a little emotional, and he'll, you know, go towards them and let wow. and lets them pet him, and it calms people down. Uh, people don't uh, uh, they don't understand the power that a dog or even a horse or whatever a person, what animal can say. Hey, there's people with service llamas, I guess now. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But it's what <laughs> what a person identifies with that that can calm them. You know. Yeah. So, so Bill, you've talked about um, equine therapy, uh, having a service dog, um, going to therapy, having your own therapist, uh, exercise, neurofeedback. Uh, are there are there other things connecting the importance of connecting with your family? You know, because we talked about how service people are spending too much time consistently being deployed and not able to come back and spend time with their family. Are there are there other things that, that we could be doing to, to take better care of ourselves or to 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 help ourselves heal from many of our, our past traumas? Well, definitely, you're going to want to seek professional right. help. You know, and a lot of times when you're going, you're talking to whether like a psychiatrist, they're the ones that's going. They they give you the meds, mm -hmm. but you know, but when you're going to the psychologist or whatever type of counselor there is, you know, when you start talking to them, they're, usually they're going to give you some recommendations. Like, hey, you, you know, what are you doing for yourself? What are you doing to to to, to fix this? And then you, you go find it, and it, it might be like. Um, going to family counseling or doing family events. You know, uh, that is one of the big things when we come back is uh, reconnecting with your family. Like I was, you know, I was raised in California. I was born in Salt Lake City. So most of my family's in Salt Lake City. Um, you know, my mom moved here, which is one of the reasons I moved here mm -hmm. instead of California, that and the taxes and everything. Um, but reconnecting to the family is hard. Like I'm, you know, 10 minutes from my mom's house. And up until she got uh, sick, I wasn't seeing her all the time mm -hmm. because I was so used to just talking by text or phone or something like that. Yeah, yeah. I'm used to that. Well, there's still that that gap, you know, with your family. And uh, a lot of us keep ourselves away from our family because we might be in a, in a funk. Well, you got to not just work on you, then you got to work on your family. And if you, you're kind of doing it at the same time... And, and sometimes it's doing equine therapy as a family, right. going to ride bikes as a family, going to, you know, hiking, because they have a lot of uh, hiking events that are fam uh, family friendly, doing stuff like that. When it comes to the family portion, it's finding something that the whole family can, can do together and reestablishing that. Um, because the biggest thing is when we come back, a lot of times we're disconnected from even our, our kids and stuff like that. Right. You know, uh, when I when I retired, even though, you know, I spent time in special operations and, you know, infantry stuff. And I, I could make a lot of money going back overseas as a contractor, even teaching combatives. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I could make a lot of money. You know, I could pay off a lot of bills. Um, but that's one of the things I, I said to my kids when I got back was, you know, when I retired, was I'm not going to deploy anymore. Because I missed, you know, my youngest daughter, she was there for the last few years. And I missed a couple of things when I was deployed you know, um, but I don't miss hardly anything anymore. I mean, she lives in Washington. If I'm missing anything, it's because I can't get there financially. Right. Um, but that's one of the 
the aspects is not having that extra money, but still being able to be there for my kids because they always know that I'm here. At any time they need to see me, I'm here. They can call me anytime. When I deploy, you can't do that. Right. You know, and I don't. That's just one of the things is making sure I'm there for them and reconnecting because you know my oldest son doesn't have anything to do with me, or well, or his mom. He he cut himself off. Um, but you know, part of the thing, one of the things you mentioned was I was never there for him. You know, I was I was always gone. I was always volunteering for everything. If I wasn't deployed, I was volunteering to go to advanced schools and stuff like that because I've pretty much been to all the toughest and you know most strenuous uh, special operations and and uh, elite schools in the in the army. Um, I had you know I volunteered for those and I didn't turn down anything I was offered because I was focused on my career. Um, we don't notice a lot of times about that until we slow down and we come out and all of a sudden, you know, I'm close to her a lot more than, than my other kids, most likely because of that, because I'm always, I was always there, you know, when she was growing up until me and her mom got divorced, but I'm still there. Like she, she spends a lot of time with me, you know, because her mom and I make an effort for her to be here. Um, my older kids, you know, they're getting older, and it's a little bit harder. You know, my one son lives in Virginia. So yeah. It's not as easy to bring him all the way here, but making that effort to do it. But it took a while. There's a there's a lot of people and uh, friends of mine that they still haven't been able to make that reconnection. Um, and if you don't do it quick enough or or at the right time, that you'll never reconnect. It, it destroys marriages. Um, but a lot of time, again, the stigma will keep people from doing stuff because if you're still in, especially, yeah. and you're and you mentioned that you and your wife are having problems, well, now you're being looked at. Okay, are you, you are, abusing them? Are you doing yeah. something? Uh, so a lot of people don't come forward until it explodes, mm. you know. And you know, once something bad's happened, it's too late. It's too late, you know. And and that's happened, you know, not just me, but it's happened to other people that, you know. We knew we had a problem, but we didn't. We knew that if well, if I step forward, I, I'm going to lose my top secret clearance. You know, I'm going to lose my job in special forces. But it happened anyways. Right. You know? What? Uh, how old is your da- Grace? Is her yeah. How old is your daughter Grace? Eleven. Who's Who's here uh, with us now? She's She's not on the podcast. Uh, I'm sure she's writing a book on her phone. Um, what are some of the things that uh, you are teaching her or trying to instill in her th- that um, uh, you wish you had gotten younger or, you know, what uh, with all the therapy and the things that you've gone through, what are the things you're like, these are some principles or ideas I want to instill in my kids? Well, one, it's, it's to don't be, don't be afraid to step forward and, and if you're having a problem or something's going on, uh, to, to reach out to your family, to have friends. You know, um, growing up, I kept a lot of stuff in, you know, um, because I didn't think that it would help, you know, anyone that might make things worse if I, you know, I talked about it and, and trying to tell them, hey, no, when you're having an issue, you you need to talk about it. Um, a better example is my, my second youngest, uh, Austin. You know, he was having a lot of uh, problems, you know, back home. He had an issue with a, a gentleman pulling a shotgun on him, his friend, when they wandered onto his, 
onto his property and um and also some friends losing their lives and stuff like that where he started having you know, those thoughts and he came out to stay with me for for um all summer and part of the school year and when he first got here and me, me and his mom had talked about you know the issues he, he was having when he got here he's going to make sure he got into therapy and stuff like that but um they're having uh the screening of i think it's called the bridge um the one about the gentleman that jumped off the sam oh, the golden yeah. gate bridge yep, yep. And and lived. yeah and lived right 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 and they had the screening and then i was one of the people after that spoke to the to the crowd um but i made sure i brought him to it so the first time he ever heard that i had done that i you know almost did that and wow. was and i did it so he said hey because he you know how kids have their, you know, their parents. You know, he's thinking, oh, here's my dad, you know, Green Beret Ranger. Mm. You know, no matter how bad things got, you know, he, you know, nothing was ever bad. He still made it through, not realizing that there's several times that I almost took his father from him. Um, and that was specifically so he could see that just you just need to talk. You can talk to me because I've been through that. And getting them to understand that, one, no matter what they do, I can't judge them. I I'll, I can't because I, I I'm I'm beyond uh, imperfect. You know, uh, I I can't stand and judge someone when I've made mistakes myself. But I can tell you what not to do, and I can tell you how doing you know drinking and doing all this stuff affected my life, and how you know, you know, good, bad, or different how my SF career ended. You know, and I didn't end up as high up in the rank st structures I could have, but I still retired. Yeah. I'm still, um, you know, you get people that met me when I used to, you know, was a heavy drinker, and they meet me now. They're like, you know, who the hell are you? Yeah. You know, uh, going out to the club. I'm not the guy, you know, super social butterfly anymore. I'm like the guy at the night at the Roxbury, yeah. standing <laughs> on the corner, bobbing my head. You know, most of my past few relationships i wasn't the one that approached them they approached me wow. you know because um growing up my social lubricant was alcohol yeah that's what allowed me to talk and be you know yeah. when i pulled way back especially when i wasn't drinking for a lot of time it was just me yeah you know yeah. and even now most of the time you know but the only time every time you know i might you know get in a stupid situation or ruin a friendship it's been when i was drinking mm. you know and that has happened you right. know and yeah. and so telling them hey you don't have to go through this because this is what can happen you know if you're feeling this way go talk to somebody you know letting them know that that stigma isn't in our house right you know wow. because and, and and that's the biggest thing you got to look at yourself and okay is my side of the street you know that's one of the things from going to aa for years you know keeping your side of the street clean. If if I know I'm doing the right thing, regardless of what people are saying, you know, you know, did I have a, you know, something bad, did I do something bad in the past or, you know, did, was something I said or did, did that hurt someone? Yes. But what am I doing now type of thing? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's really trying to get them to understand that, um, You've been through it. Yeah, I've been through it, or I could tell you. But you're going to do what you're going to do. Uh, I did notice growing up that a lot of my friends that had the parents that said, well, 
I'm not going to tell you, no, you can't do this. Or, you know, here, here's a box of, of condoms. I'm not telling you to go do this. But if you're going to, instead of the ones that said, absolutely, you will never do that. Well, that's the ones that are getting pregnant. And, right. you right. know, um, and, you know, some of my friends, like, they could do anything they wanted. They, there was, they could go out and drink anytime, whatever. But they hardly ever drank because they were allowed to. They didn't do a lot of the other things everyone else did because their parents sat down and said, well, this is what the result is most likely if this is what you're doing. They right. explained why it's not good to, you know, having and sex. And those were the kids who were most likely to call their parents if they did get in trouble. Yeah. Like, hey, I, I drank too much. Can you come get me? Yeah. Versus the kid who is drunk and then gets in the car and tries to drive home and sneak in through the back door yeah. and hopefully the parent, you know, but they end up in a car accident or, you know, you know, uh, worse yeah uh, and they and they if you get them understanding that you can come talk to me and stuff like that when they have situations you know um they come forward and right. say hey this is what's going on uh i just wish the military would get to that situation like a friend of mine mm -hmm. brad thomas uh, uh he's i think it's light and silence is a, a band uh He's a former uh, ranger, and he was in the unit. And he got a couple other former special ops guys, like Jason Everman, mm -hmm. who I went through uh, special forces course, our language school together. And he he was the original basis for Nirvana and Soundgarden, and then he decided to join the military. They have their band, and he, he did like a pretty lengthy um, post the other day on Facebook and basically talking about it was a picture of him and a group of guys when he was in a ranger and he was talking about the guy standing next to him um, had committed suicide after um, the deployment, Black, Black Hawk Down. Wow. Um, he was the first one that committed suicide after they redeployed. And he was talking about, you know, how our community, especially special ops, not just not so much some other parts of the military, but when you get to the more elite, whether it be special operations, pilots, stuff like that, um, you can't show that that stuff and he was talking about like if they would get rid of that stigma there's a good chance we wouldn't lose all those people and that's why like neural feedback i really want to get it into and show some people you know, i want to show like tom satterley from um all secure foundation i i, I want to show him what it does and, and see if we can get some of these some of the you know heavily deployed units and stuff like that to in integrate it because you can go through the neural feedback protocol and stuff like that and not expose all this you know this Their stuff. story right it's, yeah it's just reading brainwaves versus yeah you telling us your story and 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 and, and labeling it as this or that Yeah, because a lot of times if 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 you're doing the protocols and, and this stuff's going on because you've already done the protocols you know you know do you get over aggressive do you feel this way do you feel that way your sleep patterns and it builds the protocol and everything they'll the only, it's all yes or no questions. Mm. Have you felt this way? Have you done this? Mm -hmm. Do people say this? You know, the MMPI thing. And and then the program sets the protocol. And so when it's hooked up, what you're thinking in your head is what you're thinking in your head. And it helps you fix it. So if you're coming back from very bad, like, operations, some, you know, and someone, they lost somebody or um, you almost got blown up and, and stuff like that, it helps you process it. As soon as possible after, you know, because they, they studies have shown that 
the the max effective effectiveness of a soldier in combat is like three to four months. We're talking about twelve month deployments. Right. That's why special operations, you know, I, th- I believe was one of the reasons why they kept it short was so that while we were there, we were at our most effective. And when we start going lower, uh, we were redeployed and able to refit as much as possible. Well, when they're there for twelve months, eighteen months, you're several times past your effectiveness. And, well, your brain is now not processing things. Well, what if you had something like neural feedback already in the military that they know it's there? You know, it's it's it's, like, it's not like it hasn't been introduced to people. It's right. just the right people aren't knowing about that. Or the alpha stim, which is you can use it for injuries because it uses ele- electricity, or you put it on yeah, your ears yeah. like the TENS unit. Yep. But it's, it's, it's from what I've seen, it's better than TENS units, but TENS units are, are good too. Well, when someone comes back and they're, they've had a real bad, you know, operation or something like that, they can just click those on their ears until the person that a tech comes by with the neural feedback. That means that people will be able to re to actually process what they've been through, um, without actually having to sit there and talk about it. But then they can still talk about it, but like how we usually do. But if you're going through something that's helping you. Uh, retrain your brain to deal with that stuff, the effectiveness of a service member would be a lot longer, you know. And then as they're coming out, then you probably wouldn't have as many issues with PTSD. You're still going to have them. You're not going right. to – nothing's 100%. You're not going to stop 100% it's of people. It's all about reducing the numbers. Yeah. And, yeah. and then when they come out, hitting it again, you know, if if they would actually think about how – well, this would help, you know, but, but a lot of times it's like everything. I think it's like a more of a money thing. Someone for some reason is stopping. They'd much rather give us Absolutely. Adderall and, right. and, right. and Ambien to, to keep us effective, but we're not really becoming effective. At one point it's going to go down. Um, and stuff like that would make a huge difference. Is there, Bill, is there anything uh, about your foundation um, or about your story that you you want to share that we haven't covered uh, that would be valuable to the listeners. Well, one, it's 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 knowing that um, the foundation is there to help people, and it might not be the help they want. You know, like they might call and say, "Hey, I, I can't pay rent this month. I need help." You know, and that's what sends people into crisis mode. We say, "Okay, well, what we need you to do first is go to the." the CRRC at the Northeast VA clinic do an intake because one, they vet them. Um, but also they know all the, the resources that are, the, the VA has. And then if they still need help, we can try to help. But just because, um, people need to understand just because they uh, don't get help from one organization or another, like sometimes we can't help everybody. Don't give up. There's, there's plenty of stuff there. And, you know, we're also not, you know, we, we're we 100% on donations. Like, that's one of the things, like, if you see an organization, you like you like what they're doing, you know, uh, go in there and donate. Donate, a, you know, we have a, a, a few people that donate $5 a month. That's all they can afford, but they, they believe enough in what's going on. Right. Like, if, if you actually are concerned about suicide in the veteran first, first uh, responder communities, find an organization that you believe in that's in your area, and 
donate or encourage them, uh, people to donate to them because that's the only way we can do our job. Right. You right. know, we're all volunteer. No one gets, you know, we're not getting paid for it. Ultimately, what we want to be able to be an organization like Wounded Warriors Project that has millions and millions of dollars, uh, yes, because then we could pay everybody so people could actually make a living mm-hmm. um, helping other people. Uh, but we could help more people outside, you know. Uh, but that's one of the main things, like, we're there. You know, right. we may not have the program, but chances are we can find it. You, you know, there's, there's like, a, like, like when I say horses for heroes, spirit therapy, yeah. you know, forgot, not gone, trauma recovery, yoga, uh, American uh, warriors and, you know, warriors in America, uh, stuff like that. They're all different organizations that all do different things. Yeah. We're, the biggest issue is a lot of organizations try to reinvent the wheel, uh, add all these programs to their organization when there's already other organizations out there. Um, when we brought in Brain Health Warriors and American War Mothers and uh, Smoke on Water Barbecue, uh, we didn't like try to change their names and, and, and like just absorb them. We, they're just, they become subsidiaries, they keep their name, they have their own EINs, and we have the DBAs, like 22 Warriors is, is the Nevada DBA. So mm-hmm. say someone, because that's an issue with organizations like Wounded Warriors. A lot of people don't know that with Wounded Warriors, when you donate, you might be donating because you want to help your buddy here in town. Wounded Warriors doesn't, they can't, because they're, one, they're so large. They're so large. They can't say, yes, whatever you donate will go here. Well, that's why we have 22 Warriors. You donate 22 Warriors, it stays in Nevada. Um, unless it's someone from out of state that just didn't realize they could have done it to WSP. And, and we can see when we get our donations what it's meant for. But we can. And that's where, you know, if you're a local business, something like that, and you want to, you know, sponsor a veteran organization, there's a lot of local organizations that could use the sponsorship. Helix Electric, uh, twice a year, they do a, a charity golf tournament. We're one of the charities um, that they give to. So, you know, they... Right now, they're giving us probably about eight thousand dollars each one each um, tournament, wow. which makes a huge difference to to, to smaller. If you want to make an impact locally, find a local organization. I, you know, and I'm not saying that's it, would it would it be great if everyone donated to us. Yeah, but the thing is, is we also do grants to other organizations. Like all the organizations I mentioned, we've written grants to them. Oh, gotcha. um, you know, it might be for hay mm-hmm. to help out or. You know, MVP sometimes will will do a grant for the food for one of their events or um, with the martial arts program, buying geese for people that do like I do. Um, but there's all these organizations out there. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to yeah, donate to 20 Warriors, you know, or do, donate to WSP Foundation or Warriors Suicide Prevention Foundation. But if you don't identify with, with ours and you're more a person that likes the bikes with Forgotten I Gone or, you know, the equine therapy with Horses for Heroes and Spirit Therapy, donate to them then Absolutely. because you're still helping the community that I'm in. Um, it's all going towards the same cause. Yeah. It doesn't have to be. And, you know, for the listeners out there, you know, because I have listeners overseas in Indonesia and Germany and things like that. And, you know, even if these programs obviously won't be in your area, it's not so much about finding these programs as much as there there's places that raise horses. Mm-hmm. You know, go talk to them and see if you can volunteer. Yep. Uh, there are places 
uh, they're, they're motorcycle clubs and bike gangs and, and groups. It's all, the point is to join an organization, to join a group of like-minded people, of people that you're, who are interested in some of the things you're interested in. Yeah. And it, it doesn't always have to be uh, centered around mental health or suicide prevention. Yeah, because a lot, yeah, right? a lot of times it's being a part of those things that keeps that people. That keep you alive, right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Bill, we know you're not a therapist, uh, but I always ask this of my guest. Uh, I always feel like there's one person listening in who's on a cusp of completing suicide. And before you kill yourself, what would you say to that person? Um, I would say, who are you affecting? Because um, it's, it, it's, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. And um, just like with my situation, like if that would have completed it, I would have had uh, five kids without a father, a mother without a son, sisters and brothers without a brother. Um, and a lot of people think, well, I don't have that many people that, that care about me. Yeah, you do. You may not notice it, but you do. Like uh, one of the things, and a big example I'll use is my mom. You know, when she was diagnosed with cancer, she was, she said she was surprised about how many people reached out to her and how many people actually cared, you know, including my friends that knew her and, and know her now. Um, don't underestimate how many people really do love you. Don't under, don't underestimate how many uh, programs and, and things are out there to help you. A lot of people just, they think that, um, that that's it. There's nothing else I can do. And that's not true. Uh, and, but unfortunately, a lot of times it's just them reaching out um, and, and, and trying to get attention, not realizing that if they complete it, they're not, they're not doing the desired result of getting help. But it, most of it is don't give up. Uh, think about who's out there that you're affecting. Because um, like, like I've talked about earlier, you know, the, the ones that affect me, the things that affect me the most are the ones that did that. And they'd, they probably had no idea that how much of, of, of us, because a lot of times it happens where, like you're talking about that book, one person d done it, and then all of a sudden you have that happens, right. you know, uh, and it's happened a few times where one of our guys or a person I know did it, and then someone in our group did it too because of that. Mm -hmm. So it, it's not it, it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem, and you you affect more people than than you think. Was it? Uh, it sounds like you had more than one attempt. Yes. Was it always a text message that one time one one time well, it w one time it was a knock on the door one right. time it was uh, it was a text another time it was a phone call, and that's right. one of the things I always tell people like my motivation and what I want to do is I I want to be that phone call I want to be that text I want to be that knock at the door, mm. um, because I wasn't there with the people that did it mm. and my way of you know making amends for that. And also thanking the, f the friends that helped me is being there f for people when they need it, you know. And, mm -hmm. and, and, I, and I tell people, hey, you could always reach out to me. You know, I'll be there. I'll talk to you. You know, I've been through it, I, you know. And that's 
one of the things that helped me is it was it's amazing that you know I have a very good support network with my family and friends. But when I was in that mindset, it took someone that was in the same situation as I was to pull me out of it. And it was just a knock on the door. It was just a text. Yeah. You know, like my one buddy, it was just two words, go Hawks, you know, and he's here and he's an awesome dude. He's doing great. Um, but it's situations like that where people don't realize that it might be two simple words. It might just be a simple knock on the door. Hey, you want to go play basketball? And not realizing that on the side of that door, someone had a gun to their head. You know, or someone was about to take all their medication they have. You know, and I always tell people, if you feel like you should reach out to somebody, reach out to them. Um, I believe in that sixth sense type of thing. Um, and and more more times than not, when I when I had that feeling and I reached out to somebody, um, it, it it actually made a difference. And unfortunately, a couple of times it had a negative effect when I didn't. I'm not saying that I was the reason why it happened. I'm saying it was. Um, there's a good chance I might have been able to redirect it if I would have reached out because sometimes we isolate ourselves. Um, right. And we know that, if man, if I just reached out to, to so-and-so, I know he'll talk to me. And, and I've had that several times. Hey, hey sorry, I haven't talked to you in a while. Can, can you talk right now? Are you free? You know, and you have, you know, guys that are on the ledge. They're, they're about to jump off. You know, I, I had a, a female Marine lieutenant colonel that I was in AA with, uh, in, o in Okinawa that was walking into the ocean as she's talking to me, you know, and and I said, hey, you know, keep on talking to me as I was driving there, and I got her to to come back out of it. Wow. You know, and, and, and that's one thing I tell people is like, you know, be that that knock on the door, be that text, you know, every once in a while. Like I, I have the things called 22, you know, 22 buddy check. Like pick 22 of your buddies a day, do, you know, I have a, a Facebook, sometimes I fall behind on it, but right now there's a few hundred people in the group, but I, you know, I'll get down there and I'll, I'll put on some kind of funny meme. The meme is to get the people to actually read the, the post. Right, right. Um, but it'll be some, Hey, you know, today's Tuesday, you know, 22 buddy check, reach out to 22, at least 22 buddies. Because if I reach out to 22 and they reach out to 22 others right. that reach out to 20, how many thousands or tens of thousands of, of people can be reached in a day. And it's amazing how when I'm, I'm constantly doing that, where I'll get uh, DMs, you know, when people are saying, hey, I really needed that. Hey, can you talk? And stuff like that. Yeah. Or sometimes they'll reach out to other people that were just one of the people I tagged. Yeah. And it's amazing when you look at that, that point of it, it's just something simple like that. Yeah, because yeah. then it comes back to you, too, yeah. and you're like, Man, I, I, I had a similar situation where a buddy sent me a text with, hey, let's go get lunch. And he has, and I told him, I was like, you saved my life, mm -hmm. you know. And I was like, man, I was I could feel myself spiraling down. Mm -hmm. And that's and what my, my one buddy, Mitch. So powerful, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, it wasn't until we were at an event one time, and uh, he, and I forgot. Oh, it, it was at, unfortunately, one of our, our friends had passed away last year. And they had come to the memorial thing, more of a support me. And I was introducing my friend, his wife, uh, to somebody. And and I was like, uh, you know, this is my friend Mitch and his wife. And, you know, and they're, well, how did you, you know, how'd you guys meet? And Mitch goes, well, he saved my life. And for those of you out there who feel like you you don't have friends, 
or you don't have anybody uh, to check in on you, check in on other people. Yeah. You know, one of the best ways to make yourself feel better is is to to make someone else feel better. And and I know it's hard to do when uh, you know you feel like you're you're at the end of it. But you know, I, there have been times where you know I don't you know I'm not I'm feeling Abraham Lincoln called it uh, unmanned, mm-hmm. where I'm feeling unmanned. I'm not feeling quite myself, and. I'll just I'll text some some friends. Hey, just calling to check in on you. When really it's, I'm it's my way of saying I want you to check. Like I I I'm yeah. not I'm not doing well, so I'm gonna check in on you. Mm-hmm. And I just I, makes me feel better because yeah. then it, it you know ignites some conversation, some dialogue. It gets me out of my head, and then it gets me up and going. And you know I always encourage you guys if you don't have a friend to call, call an enemy, call yeah. customer service. Call some knock on knock on a neighbor's door. Get to know your neighbors. Introduce yourself. Well, slide a note under there. Even on Facebook, there's a group called Drinking Bros. I don't know if you ever heard Drinking of it. Drinking Bros. Yeah, and it was started by the the guys from Article 15 Clothing. Uh-huh. Uh, you got Matt Bass and Rocco and and all these guys that started it. Um, and it has you know hundred something thousand. I don't know how many. Th- people on there but every once in a while you'll see someone up there is like i can't take this anymore i'm done and there's other veteran group uh it started off primary veterans but now it's pretty much people you know veterans first responders regular right, people right but you'll get people on there sometimes they'll we'll go in there and say i'm done i'm about to end it and and next thing you know people are like hey is anyone in the same town of them you know if yeah. it's a military guy they hey does anyone know this unit you know and next thing you know you have thousands of people that are you know coming in to try to help somebody wow. and it's a it's a it's amazing even on facebook like some of these groups where you you see someone post it and it's them reaching out they don't yeah. want to do it they just they want right. so, they want to know someone cares right, right. and right. and then when you have all these, these people you know you know i had someone in my family that 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 had a situation like that you know metro showed up at my house mm-hmm. looking for him because he had called the the va suicide line and so I call him because he's in another state, and I start talking to him. I said, "All right, pack your stuff. I'll be there. I'll be there tonight." You know, I drove from here to Oregon, mm. and, and pick him up. But the whole way I was driving, there's people saying, "Hey, I'm I'm right here. I'm like ten minutes away. Mm. If, if you need me to go over there, go over there." Um, so, a good thing for our listeners to to understand is something simple as going on social media and, and becoming part of, the, of a group. A, a large group that you identify with. It doesn't have to be a veterans group. Right. It could be any type of first responder group, a surfer group, a, you know. Uh, but a lot of those groups, they have people that come up and they'll say stuff like that, and you'll be amazed how people just jump into it. Absolutely. Don't don't be afraid to be one of those people that jump into it. When you see someone make a uh, a statement or something, and uh, a good way to identify stuff like that is uh, um, – here locally, they're called Living Works. You have the Safe Talk class, which is uh, it's a four-hour class, and you have uh, Assist, which is uh, applied su- uh, suicide intervention skills training or something like that. And what Safe Talk is basically the way to describe it: like if you come up to an accident, the person that calls the the EMT mm-hmm. is Safe Talk, and the person the EMT is the Assist. Um, and I encourage people to go to those because it helps you identify things people might say or how they might a- act. That is, it's them giving a hint that, that they're, you know, a person 
that are having thoughts of suicide. Uh, and then recently, I, I went to the instructor course for the Safe Talk, and I'm getting ready to go to the instructor course for SIS. Because, um, like for our organization, we want everyone to be trained, so that when, when you're talking to someone, the person say, "You know what? I, I, I'm not worried about things anymore. I, I, I got a plan." Well, that that that's when you go, "Okay, you got a plan, but what are you talking about? Oh, don't worry about it. Uh, you know, uh, this will be done, in, in, you know, by tonight." Right. Well, wait a minute. Are you talking about killing yourself? Are you talking about suicide? Because. They're they're not answering your question, but they're making definitive. Absolutely. A lot of people, and, and I and I admit, I've I've been in that situation where, when I look back, I I heard those things, mm. and going to classes like like Living Works, you know, and understanding, you know, being alert to suicidal thoughts, you know, of, of other people you're talking to, and even yourself. Hey, wait a minute, maybe I I might need to go talk to someone. In the assist classes, that's when okay. You 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 saw that that person might be having, and now they told you because you asked the question. Don't be afraid to ask the question. Don't say, "Are you going to hurt yourself?" Ask them, "Are you thinking about suicide?" Make them say yes or no. If they, you know, if they say no and do it, there's nothing you could have done about it. That's a person that's one of those ones that, hey, I'm going to do it. Period. I'm not going to let anyone know about it because then they'll stop me. But most people, it's them reaching out saying, they "I need some stop. help," and yeah. they'll say. Yes. Yeah. And when they say yes, those are the people you, you, you focus on. And still, that doesn't mean you'll even, you know, and that's the hardest part about this part of this, I mean, of this, uh, this, not, it's not a job, but this kind of calling and stuff like that is you, it's 100%, you're not going to help 100% of people. And, and that, if you think about it, that's hard knowing that, you know, I know that of the people I'm going to help this year, I'm not going to help everyone. I'm not going to, we're not going to be able to save everybody. That's hard. Um, but being able to ask them that question so that if it does happen, I, man, I should, I knew something was up. I just should have, I should have asked them. Yeah. People are afraid to ask the question. Yeah. Get rid of the stigma. Hey, are you, are you really thinking about suicide? If they're not, they're like, Stu, come on. Well, then what did you mean? Well, I, what I meant was I, I'm about to go knock that dude out. Okay, that's that's different. But when they're saying, "Hey, I got a solution. It'll be done tonight," that's a definitive, a definitive thing. One of two things. Now, if you're talking about it, he's having issues at home, and he says that, "Well, are you thinking about suicide?" Well, no. Well, you're not thinking about hurting anyone, are you? Right. Because he made a definitive statement. Yeah. Um, and going to cl- courses like Safe Talk, even though I mean, I, I got my bachelor's degree. And psychology just recently, but I just I wanted it. Oh wow! Congratulations. Because I, I I when I got out, I finished my bachelor's in in IT, and then I I did it for my master's in organizational leadership, and that was basically putting together a, a corporation and stuff like that. But then when I decided I want to do this, and we had the neural feedback, I wanted to understand. One, I want to understand like a lot of people that do psychology, they. Some do it for a calling. Some do it because they want to understand why they think they, the way they do. I want to understand why my brain works the way it does now, why I don't show emotion. I, I, I rarely smile, um, even when I'm happy. You know, Part of it is I have nerve damage. My face, my face shakes. Um, but sometimes I just uh, try to understand why there's some things are dead, really. And, um, the, the only positive thing I think came out of you know, 
my wife's death was the fact that I found out I do have emotion. Have you tried an ice bath? Uh, I, I have if tried you those. Stone face in an ice bath, then yeah, you definitely. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, I, there's, and there's times I do smile, but it's it's not like I used to be. I used to I used right. to be the super social butterfly, yeah. and yeah. Um, now I'm, I tend to be a lot more angrier. <laughs> uh, and I'm trying to work on that. And, and and part of that is doing the. I mean, hell, if, if I haven't laughed for a while, it, there's no way you're not going to laugh if you take. Some gum, uh, you know, some edibles. Some, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I went, I went to George Strait concert and I laughed almost the whole thing. Me and my friend were playing on the, on the. I was texting back and forth. I'm like, hey, dude, like we're on a group text of people yeah. that aren't there. Yeah. He's sitting two seats away from me. I'm like, hey, dude, where you at? <laughs> and he's like, dude, I'm literally right next to oh, you. Oh, you're serious? Yeah. And I, <laughs> it, well, no, no, I was kidding about. Uh -oh. But people were reading this, and I looked, and I was like, dude, you're not in the seat next to me. He's like, no, look one over. You know, the, oh, there you are. So people are reading this yeah. one. I'm doing it to get people to laugh as I'm laughing. And I was having some pretty rough times. So if there's things you know that can bring you out of it, do them um, that aren't harmful to you. Absolutely. And that's Absolutely. like the biggest thing. Like, it, you know, a lot of people realize like cannabis or um, taking like anti-anxiety and stuff like that. Most of them you can't take and get in a vehicle and drive. People take Xanax, and they get in a vehicle and drive, not realizing if they get pulled over, they get in an accident, and they do a blood test. If you have that in your system at all, it's a DUI. Yeah. And a lot of people don't understand that. Um, but that's where things like neurofeedback or alpha stem. Like if I get, it, and I have one, um, alpha stem is, is really good, like a TENS unit. Uh, and my wife used to do If I was really getting uptight, she'd say, go hook up. And I go and I put on my ears and I play for about I put it on for about uh, 40, 40 minutes. And alpha stem. Yeah, alpha stem. Is that music? No, no, or, it's uh, it's like a tens unit. Oh, tens unit. On yeah, okay. it's like a tens unit. It, it's pre tens unit. Like th it was the original thing, and they have them the VAs and stuff. Okay, and you put it on your ears. Yeah, you you clip it on your ears uh -huh. and it it helps balance electricity in your in your body. Like if injuries, it it also helps with injuries too. It's used for mental and physical therapy. Wow, is I didn't it, know that. Yeah, it's a it's just like a tens unit. It's so a, I have I have a portable tens unit, mm -hmm. small one. Uh, so it, it doesn't clip, but it's the it's the pat patches. Yeah. So, the, so how where, where would I could I still use that similarly or no? Well, you have to look at really the the manufacturer. Like if it's part of it, like uh, with the Alpha Stem, it has like for my my back or something like that. It has patches you can put on. Right. It has these wands that you go oh. back and forth. Wow. Um, and then when it comes to like, you know, anxiety or um, angry or whatever, yeah. you, you clip it on your ears yeah. and you adjust the the level right to a point where you feel like you're on a boat, because it's not like the ten you where it shocks you, it's not the same. Like when you put it on your ears, it's like almost like you're just pinching it. Right. The tens unit, and I have one of those too. Those kind of shock you. You know, it's a little bit more of yeah. a, but it does the same thing. So wow. it, it the pulses of the electricity. It uh, it helps re regulate and fix your your alpha waves, oh, man. and then it calms you down. So it's like taking a couple of Valium. Well, five minutes later, I can get in my car and drive legally. Yeah, and see that's why that's a good thing. And I tell people, hey, you need tens unit or alpha stem. I say alpha stem because I know it. I like it. I know it the way it works, and it's been around for a long time since the 70s. It's just big pharma. When even when it was in the VA before, kind of, you know 
brought a stink up and they had that bureaucratic stuff yeah, and it kind of yeah. got pushed away. But when you're having all these injuries and suicides, you know, you think got doctors saying, hey, wait a minute, we had the alpha stem, which is something they can carry with them. Oh. So if, if I'm about to have a, a break, you know, meltdown or something like that, I could put that on my ear, on my ears and it calms me down instead of taking some drugs. Uh, I'm gonna definitely go home and and try try it with my tens unit to see what. <laughs> well, see and, and what I do know the tens unit I have, you can hook up to your ears. Oh yeah, that's so you, great. you just have to check if you, if yours doesn't have that, I would recommend getting it because you put it on and you relax, and then you know I do forty to sixty minutes depending uh, on how like uptight. If yeah. it wasn't really bad, then you know twenty minutes. Yeah. But usually I'm like forty to sixty minutes. But when I'm done, I'm like completely like calm, you know, nice and level. Like I took some Valium. But I'm now legally ready to drive. Right. You know, now my road rage ain't going to be as bad because <laughs> now I could sit there and take an edible or smoke, you know, right, right, smoke some some pot or something like that. But now I'm not legally driving. Yeah. And that's where things are good. Like a lot of stuff they uh, give us to fix us, we can't legally legal. do what yeah. we, we need right. to do. Right. So why not have the other stuff available and pushed because the thirteen hundred dollars it costs for that uh, that unit, you know, for the VA to give to us, is a lot better than the several thousands of dollars that they'd have to pay for, you know, you know, re rehab and and stuff like Absolutely. that, or, or anything else. Yeah. Or all the thousands of dollars this person went up paying for right. legal issues they get in later. Yeah. Um, but the biggest uh, issue about it is people knowing about. It. Stuff like that. A lot of people don't even know what Alpha Stem is, but it's available. However, they there are some places where they they stopped giving it out for free because it, I guess it was costing too much money or something. I don't know, but um, or they weren't making enough money off it. Uh, off well, the, I'm gonna I'm gonna link to it uh, to I'll find it on a website. Link to that and the neuro, but also obviously to the foundation. Bill, thank you for an awesome episode. I appreciate you this inviting me. This is so me. formative. Uh, Anytime. Because there's a, there's a place that, that does neurofeedback in L.A., and I keep driving by it, and I keep thinking to uh, to go check it out, and, and you've convinced me to to go in there. Uh, I mean, especially anything that gives me the brain of a, a, of a, 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 a Tibetan monk who's been meditating yeah. for 30 yeah. years. And I'm more on top of it. Yep. Um, for, the, for the listeners out there, remember that this, this – episode this podcast is not a substitute for you going to get help for you Definitely. calling the 1-800 suicide number for you calling talk therapy for you going to, to checking out 22 warriors foundation uh for you joining a group for you asking for help for you jumping on the bed and and yelling and whatever it is this is not a substitute for you having a you have some work to do. We all have work to do. And it's daily. The new year is here. Stick to your routine. If your part of your routine is not working for you, change out what doesn't work, throw in something that does work. But daily practice, daily vigilance, and we will talk to you soon. Peace.